You're listening to Value Judgments. My name is Eric Matheson. If you leave your house today, there's a good chance you're going to encounter a line. For me, lines are something of a miracle. People just agree that first come, first served is a good system, and it works pretty well most of the time. But as an ethicist, there's another part of me that wonders if there's a better way. After all, no one likes waiting in line. Well, in this episode, my guest and I talk about the ethics of lines. We talk about airlines, cafes, grocery stores, amusement parks, cutting the line, and how the elimination of lines might signal societal progress. Jeremy Davis is an assistant professor of philosophy at the University of Georgia. He and I have written a bunch of articles together, and we've been talking about the ethics of lines for years. Here's the show. To get us started, one of the things I'm wondering about is, is just like, how do you think about lines uh, in a, or when you think about lines, what comes to mind? Yeah, so I think for me, what kind of initially, and this is somewhat embarrassing as a philosopher, but what initially um, kind of, you know, stoked my interest in the topic was me being in lines and um, the lines that are most apparent to me that are frustrating are in kind of quotidian places. So like the grocery store or um, the airport, uh, quite commonly waiting to get a flight rebooked or something. Um, and then more recently at like an amusement park. And in some of these places, though not at the supermarket really, but at um, uh, the airport and at amusement parks, you often see uh, that the line is not first come, first served. And I think that it's... Um, been an interest of mine to kind of ask when and under what circumstances that first come first served principle should be modified for some or overall. And I think that's sort of generated a series of questions in my head about other kinds of lines that we're in. Um, obviously, there are very serious and morally weighty ones like lines for uh, medical treatment or for, um, you know, kind of kidney donation lines and things like that. Um, there are other sorts of lines in terms of just like various public administration uh, you know, issues or, or social, other social goods. Um, and so when you start to think about lines in these more basic ways, like at the grocery store, um, I think you start to see some principles emerge that seem, you know, uh, easy and, and, and reasonable to kind of apply. And then when you then when you try to apply them to broader, more, more difficult social phenomena uh, with more complex dimensions, it becomes very complicated. And so I think my interest in this broadly has been thinking about the phenomenon of lines and how it's quite complicated. I think, like, like really, the main thesis for me is like this isn't as easy as it looks. Um, and I do this thing. So, just a brief story. So, when I teach undergraduates intro to ethics, I ask them a question at the beginning of every class. Often, it's very low stakes. It's kind of simple. What would you do in this scenario, kind of thing? Um, and I often, midway through the semester, throw in a question about lines, and I just say something like, "The principle is like it's perfectly morally okay to pay to cut a line." And it's very interesting because this, like several other questions that I ask them, is one that students immediately go, oh, sure, yeah, like whatever, you can pay. And then if you kind of poke a little bit at it, by the end of the, I don't know, five to ten minutes talking about the question, you get a lot of students who are like, well, actually, uh, you know, and then they start to think differently. And I think this is just one of those areas where if you think about lines, you might have an initial view and then you think about it a little bit more and you go, well, actually, it's a lot more complicated than that. When we think about the ethical case for first come, first serve, which is this kind of standard approach that we take in society, what, what's the ethical case for looking at that? Why, why should we use that? Well, so you mentioned earlier that there's not a lot written um, on this stuff. And I think the, the kind of one major paper is on this issue um, that I've seen in the philosophical literature anyway. Um, and I think that the basic case is the one that's pretty familiar to most of us, which is that um, it seems like a fair and equitable starting point. And in general, people who arrived first, you know, should be treated first. They're waiting less time, um, or, you know, they're spending less time waiting. Um, uh, and it, it just sort of seems like a if we must decide anywhere, it seems efficient and good to start there. Of course, the challenge I think is that um, there are lots of cases in which it's not so obvious that we all we want everyone to wait the same amount of time. I mean, imagine you go to the hospital, you have a toe fungus, and the guy next to you has been shot. Like you should, you shouldn't get seen first. That the person who got shot should be seen first. That's the whole point of triage: is to take. We have insufficient, uh, you know, uh, means to treat everyone simultaneously or immediately. So some must wait. Given that fact, we should prioritize the people who are in most need uh, of assistance or who have the most urgent need. And so in that case, it seems obvious. Like if a hospital, if there was like a hospital that opened in Toronto, that's like you know, build itself as like we're going to be the first first come, first served hospital, 
like people would be dying, like we'd have miserable health outcomes. And so, so I think, you know, you're thinking about that, it's, it seems like first come first served is a good starting point, but it immediately, I think gets lost in, in, in many cases where we look at like the complex diversity of needs that people have. In cases like the grocery store, it seems pretty clear that first come first served is a, is a, is a good, good principle. It seems it would be very difficult administratively for there to be someone who's kind of like out just in front of the lines determining like who's most, what are you going to like pay for better access or who's, who's busiest or who's got a screaming kid and needs to get out of there quicker or whatever. Like that's just administratively a very difficult um, and complex question to resolve and to weigh out those various um, aspects in real time would be, would be incredibly complicated. Same for the DMV, as you mentioned earlier. And so I think first come first serve seems fair. It seems equitable. And then there are cases where it needs to be overridden by other things. Um, but even still, I mean, in a triage, triage situation, you might think two people who have the exact same need. Now this never happens in real life, but you can imagine a thought experiment where two people have been shot or, you know, or whatever the case is and equally in need of the exact same kind of treatment one arrives 20 minutes before the other, you know, if they're shot, that's not good. But one arrives a few minutes before the other. Um, that person, all else being equal, maybe first come, first serve does apply in that case. Because um, that's just the easiest way to adjudicate competing claims to the same resource. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so one, one type of deviation from first, first come, first served is, I think, for the better. I think triage and healthcare situations are of that sort um, that we're justified you know we take first come first served as a default and then we're justified in having a, a different system and then some of the cases that you mentioned earlier on are uh, deviations from first come first served for the worse uh, where uh, you know people can pay their way to get to the front or uh, or or other sorts of things or, or at least I, I, t- I take it you think that those are for the worse um, so so I'm wondering about then you know how we think about is it just the um, uh, well? Uh, you know, ha- should we have more first come, first come first serve? Should we have less of it? Um, and how do we know kind of which which way if there's a deviation from it? How do we know if it's for the better or for the worse? Yeah. So I think there. Yes. Yeah, certainly, there. I would agree that those are often cases where it's for the worse. Um, so an anecdote here, like a relevant one. I had this experience firsthand. There was a, so. Uh, if I can brag a little bit on your podcast, um, I have status with American Airlines, uh, so which allows me the the benefit, among other things, of having a separate customer service line, which often is much shorter. Um, I, that, to the listener, that was supposed to be tongue in cheek. I'm, uh, I'm not actually bragging, <laughs> um, but the um, uh, there was a time I was on a flight and I desperately needed to get back home, uh, or I was I was you know scheduled for a flight. Uh, trying to get back home and the flight got canceled. And so everyone on the plane, you know, whatever hundred of us or whoever, however many funnel out to the customer service lines. And of course the vast majority of the people are in the basic ordinary customer service line. And because of the benefit that I've uh, been given, I was able to go into the other line. And not only is that a case where I had to wait for less time, but there is in that immediate instance, a very small amount of um, the relevant good, namely seats on flights. Um, and it's not just that everyone's fighting for them because that everyone's going, of course, going to different places. Ultimately, this wasn't a direct flight back to my destination, um, but everyone's fighting for these flights and there are only so few of them. And so it's not only that I had less time to wait, but I had actually greater access to the good. And you might say, well, status on an airline is a little bit different because I don't exactly pay for that directly, but I do get it by virtue of something related to my like financial position with respect to that airline. I've spent a lot of money with them or something. And it strikes me that that's like just unfair. It's unfair that I should have greater access to a good, you know, and, and not to mention the fact that I have to wait in line less to get it, um, but but a more direct access to a good because I've paid for it. And so I think that there is a kind of prima facie concern with the idea that some people have greater access to a good merely because they can pay for it. Now, in some cases, that doesn't that's not so bothersome. I mean, obviously, that's just like how most market economies function is you have to have money to, to get things. Um, but if it's something that people would otherwise get, but I get to go in front of them to get access to it, and the access that I'm getting is by virtue of my having the relevant, you know, I've been able to pay for it, that strikes me as unfair and inegalitarian and um you know, when we start to think more deeply about that, I think a lot of questions come up. Again, as I said a minute ago, a, a response to all of that would be that this is just how like market economies function. Now, I don't think that that's like a, <laughs> I don't think that's like a, 
a clear and easy solution. I think their market economies have tons of problems. And one of them might be that people have greater access to things merely by virtue of having money. Um, but also because I think there's a concern here that like when I go to, um, so for example, when I go to an amusement park and I pay for the, we all pay the normal entry price. So we all in theory have equal access to the good, but then some, uh, you know, the good being like the ride on the roller coaster or whatever. Um, but some people have greater access to that because they've paid an extra amount for a particular privilege, namely to cut the line. So it's not like they have special access to another good. We all have access to the same good. They just get to essentially pay to impose a slightly additional cost on me, namely to make me wait a little bit longer so they have to wait a lot less. And that's the particular area where I start to find it troubling. Now, of course, it's an amusement park that's not really morally significant uh, in the same way that like medical care is. But I think it's a helpful illustration. And in that case, what's it's not just that they paid for greater access. It's that they, they paid for privileged access in the sense of, you know, imposing a cost on me. Namely, I now have to, in addition to the weight I was already going to have to suffer through in the first come first served model, they were able to uh, cut it. And that imposes a small cost on every additional person in line. And we're not compensated for that, at least directly. I mean, I suppose someone could give me the complicated economic model in which actually our ticket price was cheaper because of the fast pass model. I don't think that's actually true. Um, but ultimately, in those cases, we're not compensated for the cost that we're forced to bear. And so it's inegalitarian in the sense that they have greater access, but it's also inegalitarian in the sense that it imposes a cost on others um, that they're not compensated for and haven't agreed really to, other than the sense that like we understand that's how these systems work. Um, we haven't really agreed to um, this system. It's not as if they went in and said, as, a, as is sometimes the case in certain lines where someone goes, hey, do you mind if I go in front of you? Like, I'm about to miss my flight. Um, that's different where I agree to let someone go and he- go ahead of me. But, the but fast that's pass just is you. Not- they should really have to ask everybody. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is funny how that works because, um, it, you, know, you know, when this happens, um, you, you only ask the person you're cutting in front of, but they, you know, <laughs> that person only has the right to let you cut in front of them, not in front of everyone else. Yeah, right. Um, so I wonder in the, in the airline case, um, one of the arguments that somebody could give is that um, – because you fly more, you will just be, you know, you, when flights are canceled and so on, in total, you're going to be made worse off. So somebody who only flies once a year, it's, it's you know, bad luck if their flight gets canceled. But if you're flying more often, then, uh, then in total, you're just going to have this cost way more. So, so why should we think about it in the way that you're suggesting where it's um, kind of each iteration is a different um, situation. Why not think about it in total? That the the total amount of time you're going to have to spend is relevant, and that you know that's a way of you know that's what the price is signaling. You have this status because you fly more, and so therefore you're more exposed to the tax. Yeah. So that seem that might. Uh, I'm I'm happy to engage that point uh, in the case where somebody spends a lot of money or, or because they fly a lot more. Um, it's worth noting that in some cases, the status that people get is something they literally just pay for the status, much like the fast pass. Um, so in my case with American Airlines, the benefit I got was because I'd flown with them a bunch. It's possible. I guess, so I guess the idea is that um, I, it's going to be like worse for me because I, I'm, I'm, what is it, like probabilistically, you know, greater odds that I'm going to experience this kind of harm all the time. I guess the other way to put it is like, well, I mean, I fly a lot more like, I, like, you know. I, I don't know, like, <laughs> it seems odd to think that merely because I engage in a particular domain of society that I should, that I'll, a lot, that I should get some kind of sort of compensation from others for doing that or something. But this is a concern about other other things, like for, for taxes, like um, uh, uh, sales good taxes, that one of the concerns is that it's regressive because people who are lower income end up proportionally paying more um, of their tax. And so that's a case against sales taxes because they're regressive in that way. I don't think it's exactly the same thing going on in this case because the amount that you're spending is is different. But there there might, you know, could there be an analogous sort of argument to that? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not so sure it's merely because I, you know, purchase more of the good or something like that. But I do think there are cases in which, um, I don't know, I, I like I, I'm, I'm, I mean, again, like I said earlier, this is complicated. I don't know that I have refined views on this. But I think there might be cases in which it's not merely by virtue of need, but because of other things that somebody could have, um, you know, should have improved access to a given good. Um, 
I'm trying to think if there are other examples where this is clear and unobjectionable, but in most cases, I think there's different, you know, you can go different ways on it. Well, I guess maybe this is a place to discuss the possibility of there being different lines. Because I think one, you know, so one thing somebody would point out, so <laughs> actually one of the times you and I first talked about this was years ago when we lived in Toronto, and I was talking about, um, I think actually to kind of revise my initial um, story about when I started thinking about this, this was one of the times when I thought about this a lot was, um, regrettably, uh, listener, I hope you'll forgive us. Um, we spent a lot of time going to Starbucks, um, and I had the app, the Starbucks app, and the Starbucks app allows you to buy your coffee in advance. And there was, there was a Starbucks about three or four blocks away from our, our building. And I would buy the coffee on the app. And then by the time I walked over there and got there, it would be waiting on the shelf, like hot, ready. I didn't have to wait in any kind of line. Um, it didn't cost me more or less to do. Um, uh, to do it that way. It was actually more convenient for me. But what if, what effectively happens in that case is I put in the order, the little receipt pops up while other people are in the store also ordering their coffee. And I, am, I, I, what, I what I do, like literally am doing is cutting the line. I didn't have to wait in the line in the store. I cut it by virtue of doing it through the app. Now that's a case just like others where the company has no problem with it, but the people in the line... I mean, essentially, they're forced to wait a little bit longer because my coffee order came through. Um, one thing somebody has pointed out to me about this and other kinds of cases is like, well, actually, what you're describing is there are just two different lines. And there's often, you know, just different access to the same, different ways of accessing the same kind of good through different kinds of lines. Um, it's the same thing, for example, if you go through at McDonald's and you go through the drive through which cuts through, you know, in essence, the line in um, that, uh, you know, people inside the restaurant are, are standing in. Um, but actually, it would be kind of odd to think that dry, going through the drive through amounts to cutting the line. What you're actually doing is participating in another kind of um, parallel line. Um, and so those, those seem like cases in which, like, what's actually happening is there are just different lines. And so you're participating in different ones. I think maybe the airport cases like this as well, um, because there are just different customer service agents. Like if they didn't have that line, it's not obvious that they would have put that person in, you know, serving ordinary, you know, the, the non-status customers or whatever. Um, and so this might be a way of thinking about some of these cases where like, actually what's going on is they're just a proliferation of lines. I'd certainly like this at the grocery store when there's the like 12 items or fewer line, um, that sort of thing. So I wonder if maybe these are kinds of helpful examples to add on to our analysis to just think about like, there's not really one simple line. There are actually many different lines that are going on at the same time. Yeah, I've totally changed my view about Starbucks and those kinds of things. So so I think in the drive-thru case, uh, I I believe, although this might just be my experience because I don't usually use drive-thrus, but I believe that there's a bias to serve the drive-thru faster. It always feels like to me that the drive-thru line goes faster than the in-store line. Um, and there are, there are probably... Uh, you know, you can imagine reasons for that, that it like, you know, the, the cars lining up is a bigger deal. But but I think that's actually just a reason against <laughs> drive throughs. Um, but in the it, so, so I think I used to my, my view used to be about things like Starbucks, um, that it was cutting the line. And it would be funny because you would get your coffee faster, but then you had to wait for me anyway. I would, <laughs> um, just stand, stand, yeah. <laughs> stand in the line. But actually, now I think that, um, you know, it it. it I don't think it's really cutting the line. I could use the line if I wanted to, uh, or you know, use the app, um, and I, I choose not to. Um, but but I don't think anyone's really disadvantaged. You know, most people have access to you know a, a phone where they could use the app and and could make that choice. So actually, I think now that it's a you know it's just a better experience that that I, I am uh, I think lines are in general bad, and I think. Uh, you know, a, a mark of societal progress is um, fewer lines. And I think that this kind of system where you can order ahead, you know, it's better for the customer because you get your coffee faster. Um, it's better for the experience. Um, and actually, I think it's better for the, you know, in a way, maybe it's better for the people waiting in line because I'm not sure that they, you know, there, there are fewer, you know, the, the line is less long um, that they like physically have to stand in. So I think that that is better in that way. Yeah, I, so I see that. I see that point too. I, I would say that, um, you know, the benefit of using the app and not having to wait in line. So I guess one way to think about this kind of case is to ask as a test, like, would would it be useful if everyone did this? I mean, this is just a standard Kantian kind of universalization idea. And so contrast the Starbucks line with the amusement park fast pass line. If everyone used the Starbucks app, it would take you a little bit longer 
Like, like so if, if you and I and everyone else ordered exclusively through the app and there was no in-store line, I don't think that you would be able to ad- get a comparative advantage by then going, because everyone's using the app, to then go in um, and go in-store and order the old-fashioned way. Because the line would be continuing regardless. Um, and so if everyone uses the app, it's actually not, you, you get slightly less advantage by using the app, but it's not as if your advantage is gone now because you actually don't have to wait in line, Right. Um, it, it's a benefit, as you pointed out. By contrast, the fast pass thing—if everyone paid for the fast pass, it would negate the advantage of the fast pass. We would all be paying for this massive um, advantage that actually isn't conferred to anyone. So that's why, actually, at most of these amusement parks, they only sell some particular number of fast passes or whatever they're called um, on a given day, because they know that if they sell too many of them, the they're you know nobody nobody wins. So I think when you think about the two different cases, the Starbucks line seems objectionable, if it does, to a much lesser degree than the kind of fast pass lines where what's actually happening is not just that you're cutting the line, because um, as you've pointed out in the Starbucks case, you're cutting a line, but everyone has access to cutting it for, you know, or, or doing exactly what you're doing. Um, whereas with the fast pass case, it really is a special privilege afforded only to some to cut the line Um that you know, not everyone, not just because they don't have the financial means, but because there's really a limit on their ability to do that. And those people are forced to wait in line longer in something where you you are just forced to wait in line. By contrast, in the Starbucks case, it actually, as you pointed out, uh, potentially could eliminate the actual physical line, which would be a huge benefit to everyone. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's one kind of smaller way to analyze those kinds of cases that's hopefully helpful. So let me make the case to you for uh, really having two ways to pay. And then you can explain to me why you disagree if you disagree. So I think that uh, money is a is a price, you know, the cost of the, the good, but also time is a price um, and another kind of form of cost. Now, I think that there are actually uh, reasons to think that a, a, a money price is better. Um, so it, it signals demand and the uh, that incentivizes producers to produce more of that good, and then and they get the benefit of that. Whereas a long line signals demand, but the the time is not transferred in any way; it's just lost forever, which I think is uh, you know worse in in a serious way. That you know, so like like time is a is not a renewable resource in the way that um, you know we we can get more money, um, uh, but once the time is gone, it's lost. So. Uh, in a you know in a situation where uh, some people have more time and some people have more money and so there could be an equilibrium or there could be some kind of you know ethical case where there are situations where um, you know imagine you're visiting New York City and you've only got a few days um, you you know be willing to pay a higher price to um, wait a shorter amount of time in line whereas other people who could access you know you know could decide to pay so we're not talking about like you know, really high income versus really low income people, um, but that people will decide. You know, you can you can pay more money and wait less time, or you can pay less money and wait more time. Um, and both of those are costs. And there are questions about like setting the you know the the what the the market price should be for both of those things. But giving people the option, I think, um, can actually be more equitable in some situations because you know. Low income people also, you know, are can be time poor that they don't have time to wait in line, and and that's a cost for them as well. Um, so uh, it's not, you know, it's not going to be kind of uh, uh, based on need in the way that triage is, but but by offering people more options, and they can decide for themselves what's what's better. So uh, what's your wh- what do you say about that? Yeah, so I, I I think it's a it's a great idea in certain cases, and I think where the um where the complexity comes in is to think about in which in which cases it's acceptable and in which cases it wouldn't be. Um, I think it's it seems clear, and I think you would agree that it, this would be completely unacceptable in a hospital setting. So we're in the we're in the ER um, waiting room, and they don't they don't give you the little auction paddle and say like, all right, who wants next? Like it's going to be Eric, but if someone wants to pay a thousand dollars, they can go ahead of Eric. Like that just can be completely unacceptable. But that's a case, obviously, where as you've said, there's need there's potentially very dramatic need differences. Uh, but even if there weren't, I mean, imagine you're just at the doctor's office and you're there because everyone's got the cold or whatever. I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it would be acceptable to say that you should be able to cut that line. I think that's a kind of morally sensitive enough good that we should care about equality, um, you know, in, in a different way than than just like kind of auctioning it off in that, in that way that you sort of suggested. I think in other cases, it's, um, 
you know, it's it's acceptable. I guess I have concerns, and I don't know that all any of these amount to something that uh, or, or anything that amounts to an objection. But I do have a concern that the money thing is something that um, it's not clear how that gets distributed. And so I think this would incentivize the wrong kinds of behaviors on the part of those who could otherwise generate more access to something, but instead would restrict it for the benefit of creating financial opportunities for themselves. I'm worried about that. I also think, it is, and I, I certainly agree that time is a cost that has been kind of dramatically under-discussed in political philosophy. There's a great piece, I forget the name of the author in The Atlantic, called The Time Tax, um, you know, talking about kind of the time uh, that it takes to just apply for and receive government um, support, uh, those kinds of things. It's certainly true that we don't think enough about time. Uh, and actually, we talked about this um, on an episode of our old podcast with Julie Rose, who's a um, political theorist at Dartmouth, and she has a book called Free Time. And it's just, you know, making this kind of simple but dramatic point that like political philosophers don't think enough about time as as a as a resource. And so I get the impulse to th- treat time and kind of say, look, pick which one you want. Do you want to spend your time or your money? And I think in some cases that's true, or you know, that's that's fair and reasonable. I think in other cases I'm concerned that what that ultimately does is just like exacerbates the inequality. Because it does tend to be the case that people who are wealthier, I mean I don't have the empirical evidence for this, just kind of anecdotally and intuitively, it seems that many people who are are um uh, have more money are going to, you know, also going to want be more prepared to spend that money uh, to, you know, to avoid having to wait in line. And it's going to generate massive advantages for them in all sorts of areas in society. And those who don't have the money are not going to be able to spend it. And of course, they might, you know, have to wait in line or whatever uh, longer. But um, I mean, we all have we all have limited time, we all have, uh, you know, um, the limited limited resources. And I think that most of us would probably, in many cases, default to the money if we had it. I don't think there are going to be a lot of really wealthy people who are like, oh, it's not worth $100 to get in front of this line. I think they would spend it easily. In fact, I think they often do. Um, and so my concern is that that's just going to exacerbate the inequality we see in society by um, by allowing that to be a greater um, you know opportunity for people. Again, it depends on the, the, the specifics. If that's money that's redistributed to people who are waiting in line, then I'm all I'm I don't know all for it. I'm I'm more inclined to it because that's again a cost they're forced to bear. Um, but I mean, is there a specific example where you think that would work particularly well? As I'm going through it in my head, I mean, I don't like the idea of like, oh, I'm a like. So down here in in Georgia, our grocery store we have Publix and we have Kroger. Imagine that Publix has like a as like a, you know, everybody has to wait in line, or you can like pay to be like a Publix Plus member and you can just cut any line. Like the people who are going to do that are going to be the people who have disposable income and are able to do that. And I think that, that, what, that what that means is the people who are time poor are going to be even more time poor because all the rich people get to cut in front of them. And, uh, you know, they don't have the resources. It's not as if they wouldn't spend the money if they could. It's that they can't or, or you know, in many cases, many cases they wouldn't be able to. Um, but, I mean, is there an example, a place where you think that would work particularly well? Well, I think the worry is that um, the the basis of first come first served is this kind of time equality point that it's like fairly distributed. But actually, there are huge inequalities in the amount of time people have. Um, you know, partly because of jobs, but also just because of you know age and um, other circumstances. If I'm dying of cancer and I have a month to live, and I want to see you know Paris, um, and you know I don't have you know I don't want to spend as much time waiting in line, and so if I have money, I'm you know I'd be more willing to to spend it, and uh, and that's a dramatic example, and um, and obviously uh, people who are uh, uh, money poor can also be time poor, and so it's a double disadvantage. Um, but but I think that the you know the the arguments about um, uh, the arguments against using money also you know, rely on this kind of uh, claim about equal amounts of time, which it, which is just not true. I think it's 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 certainly not true that we all have equal amounts of time because we'll be at different phases of life, among other many other reasons, as you pointed out. People who, um, let's just say in general, people who are older will have less time to live on average. Um, so you know you can imagine there being an argument for them being at the front of the line. I think in those cases, what you've described is a kind of need or a kind of like relative cost of being in line. Like the actual cost per person in line is going to be relative to the, the the cost in time. But I don't think it's not obvious to me that the solution to that should be well. Then we just open up the possibility of paying for it. I think in that case, what we should do is 
to the extent that we're able, um, and there's cases where this seems true, um, you know, to the extent that we're able, we should give priority to people who um, we can kind of recognize in in various social categories would would generally be experiencing a greater cost to wait longer. I mean, this isn't exactly the same, but we do this a lot. There are now, um, you know, at a lot of places in the parking lot, there's like um, spots for like expectant mothers and blah, 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 like all these different categories of people who like would benefit from being closer. Now that's not a time cost, but it is like a look, like parking further away is a greater burden for people who are in wheelchairs or who are expectant mothers or whatever the category is. Um, and we recognize that in general, it'd be good to give a benefit to them in terms of space by carving out a particular area or a particular, um, spot for them. The same is true when you're boarding an airplane, which I think you and I actually share the view that boarding an airplane is not like a meaningful line because you don't have greater access to a good, maybe overhead space on some of these smaller planes. But in general, like we shouldn't really care about when we board a plane. And in fact, it'd be better if we tried to board. You, you've mentioned before, there's that that argument. I forget who the, uh, who, who originates, who originated the argument, but um, about we should all aim to board the plane last or something like that. Um, yeah, and there's about? also yeah. Well, there's also a um, like the kind of like empirical research on the fastest way to get the plane boarded, um, which is not the way that they do it now. Um, it's, yeah, you, know, you start at it's the back. Be like random, have, right? Like, uh, well, yeah, I think you start at the back, and but then there's like alternating by, <laughs> um, so that people yeah. are kind of crisscrossing. Um, but yeah, I think that it it doesn't really you know besides the status of being able to sit down first um, right. and then have everyone else have to walk past you. Um, I don't think right. it, it, it really matters. Right. Um, it's certainly no accident that the first class boards first and is at the front of the plane. We all have to walk sheepishly past them as they're drinking their mimosas. Um, no, but the re- reason I mentioned the boarding the plane example was because I think there it's obvious, and most airlines, if probably all airlines do this, where one of the categories of people who get to board first are the people who would benefit from having more time. So typically people um, who just need more time because of mobility issues or whatever, um, or those with children who need to kind of like get them in and settle them in and stuff before the flight. I'm like, that's not a great example of the phenomenon I'm discussing or the possibility I'm discussing, but it is one where like, we've recognized that in general, the category of people who like have mobility, um, challenges or who have children might benefit as a group from having earlier access to the good. Again, as I said, like we, you know, it's a, it's a slightly different thing, but, um, you know, of course, somebody uh, could say, well, look, like, suppose you take your kids to the amusement park. Have you ever spent all day with screaming kids? It's miserable. Uh, They should get to go on the roller coaster sooner because they're just going to complain in line the whole time. Um, I'm not that opposed to the suggestion if, if like, if, like, there's some advantage. Of course, at amusement parks, that's, that's not really a relative advantage because most people uh, are in that situation. So it's not really going to help anyone. But, um, uh, those kinds of things, I think, actually, if we can identify categories of people who would benefit more, not just because they want it more, but because it actually imposes a greater cost on them to have to wait in line. I think that w- what we're actually de- describing or redescribing there is the kind of triage, the need-based thing from earlier. And it's just that in this case, it's not like if I don't get see the doctor right away, I'm going to be, I'm going to die or something. It's more like if I don't have access to the good sooner than my spot in line will otherwise can, you know, allow me, um, then I will experience a greater cost than others. Um, I think about this a lot. Like imagine you're in line for the bathroom somewhere and someone's really got to go. Like if if you just like looked at the line, I think you like in theory, what we should all do is go like, all right, who most needs to go? Now, of course, we're bad at that because there's going to be people who would lie. Um, uh, uh, money is a signal of that. Like you could have an auction and, and, and right, people but if every, have different if access to it. But um, the, you know, if there's not somebody there to like run that, um, system that, you know, that's the value of a, a market economy is that it, it, it deals with that. I mean, problems of inequalities and different access and so on too. Yeah. I mean, my concern with that is that it take any relevant social good or any exa- one of the examples we've talked about. And in every one of those cases, if you have people with disparate incomes, then you're just going to see that reflected in their ability to have access to the good. And I guess to some degree, the egalitarian in me thinks we should have more areas in, in society where people are need and dessert-based, get, get need and dessert-based treatment, not paid for access. Um, and so my concern is that we say, hey, we've got time and money, 
Um, and it is true, as you've pointed out, that not everyone has equal access to time. But I don't think that we solve the problem by adding in this other very deeply inegalitarian or, you know, this deeply unequal um, good. Now, the solutions to it on the other front, as I've pointed out, like we can't just stand in line for the bathroom and start like doing like, all right, secret ballot, like who, you know, what rate your ability, your your need to the bathroom on a scale of one to 10. Like people are, you know, people are um, untrustworthy in that, in that way. And we don't really, there's not an obvious way to have an arbiter. So it might be that like have money is something we can all recognize broadly the value of, and we can start putting money down. But um, it's not obvious to me that that solves any problems. It might just exacerbate them. And who adva- who benefits the most from those? The people who have the money. And I think that there's a there's an egalitarian concern here that it, that just exacerbates that problem. It just um, assumes, though, that people can line up. And that's not true of many people if they don't have time or if it's a physical line that waiting in line is not possible for them. Um, you know, this was a thing of the um, during the... Uh, when the queen died to line up to see her that, um, you know, the, the, and there were, you know, different, different line. There was the, the big general line and then there was a, a different line for people with um, uh, physical disabilities. Um, but, but the, you know, the assumption of the line is that, you know, that there is a kind of a, uh, equality that people can just go there, but, but it's going to price people out. If, if the line gets longer, it's going to price people out who don't have the time or, or who are otherwise unable to line up, um, as in the case of kids or something. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's fair. I think there are cases where, um, I mean, I, I don't, <laughs> it's hard in some of these cases because that does that particular line just sounds all pain, no gain to me. Like, I, I'm, maybe it's my having no relationship with the crown. Um, uh, but but there are, there are cases like that. I mean, I, I certainly think, when you talk to people about fast pass at an amusement park, a lot of people will say, like, look, I know it's kind of messed up, but I only get to go to Universal Studio. I have only have three vacation days. Um, I'm flying down day one. Day two, I'm at Universal. I'm flying back day three. I want to see everything. Um, if I have to wait in the ordinary lines like everyone else, I won't be able to do it. The people who go there who have more vacation days or whatever have, you know, they have a other particular social good in terms of time that I don't have. Now, I think in those cases, it might make sense um, to do that. I guess my concern is that in those cases, if it's actually the need, they shouldn't have to pay for it. Like they should get it because they have a they, ha, they because they are unequal in terms of the other resource in a way that we should care about. Um, I think what your suggestion was, or at least what a suggestion close to yours is, is like, well, but we need people to kind of have some skin in the game with that, and they need to pay for it because that's a way of signaling the value to them. And I agree that, like, as a practical matter, in some cases, that might be the only reasonable way to do it. But I think that, like, our goal or our aspiration should be for a system that can like better adjudicate um, need in these cases. Like I think I was telling you the other day that it would be funny to have, it'd be, it'd be great, but obviously very impractical if like FastPass had a rigorous application process where like you, you have, in order to get FastPass at Disney World or Universal, you have to like submit, you know, a bunch of paperwork showing like demonstrating that you actually have limited vacation days and your family is, you that know, application you're, you're, is a time cost. You're not thinking like the efficient society that <laughs> Canada is, Jeremy. No, well, so but I but so it would be, <laughs> yeah, it would be a time cost. That's true, but but I think that the thing too in these cases is, um, I, I want people who have in, a, in a, who have unequal um, uh, needs to have that attended to by the lines, and I don't think that's solved by just telling them to kind of throw money down to solve it. Because in many cases, as I've suggested already, I think that, you know, if we all, if, for example, one way to do this would be like if the government gave you some amount of money, each person, or like some like fictional kind of like, uh, you know, currency that you could spend. Yeah. Yeah. That you could spend as you like on like line, you know, greater access to the line. And that was the only kind of currency, like a special little like, Canada line bucks or something and like apart from like obvious triage situations if you really wanted to like whatever then they're like oh we accept line bucks and you can like go okay well cool I have I have a hundred of those and it costs three in this case okay well now it's worth it to me because what we've done in that case is like given everyone equal access to this other particular good to spend as they like 
Um, I th- actually, th- I mean, I think this is helpful you've because just in, you've just invented like universal basic income, but use money. <laughs> <laughs> people can just buy their way into the if they, you know, you're going to Universal Studios, you can use your money bucks to um, to, to buy your way in front of it if that's what you care. Well, about. but my my concern is that in those cases, the starting point is radical inequality, and then we're just asking people, hey, spend this is what it costs, um, and then some people will have access to that, and others won't. And so if we had a kind of like equal amount of the good, every Canadian resident has 100 of these, then that's, then that starts to look different um, because we've started with equality and we, and we give everyone the same access to it. I'm not suggesting anyone actually do this. It's not a policy proposal, but that's something that like what I think resolve, it wouldn't resolve it completely, but it would like make progress. Yeah, on that. It seems like you should get more though. If you, so if you're diagnosed with a, you know, Huntington's or something that you're going to die earlier or die younger, then it seems like you should get more of these time bucks to be able to spend um so there it would be a pretty (laughs) intense system of like like it doesn't start with equality because there's still the time right no sure i mean again i think this is it doesn't solve that problem um completely and i think it also um yeah i mean that's probably i mean i think what we're both kind of circling here is the point that like there's radical wealth inequality and then there's radical time inequality and i guess your suggestion was we can make progress on that by putting a dollar amount a dollar per minute kind of thing. Um, my concern is that that just, you know, exacerbates along both, or at least on the dimension of wealth, it exacerbates the the wealth inequality. I think you're highlighting that um, it's still going to be true that there's radical time inequality. Um, but I guess one way to try to resolve that is to say that at least in the case where we all are dealing with people who have, you know, the cost to your time is significant to everyone. It's more significant to some, but to some people, the cost in dollars would be totally insignificant. Um, and I think that's a concern. Yeah. Yeah. I think my, my, my interest in allowing different ways to pay is that it, um, it, it does give people, you know, again, the price is going to, um, matter, but so Shakespeare in the park in New York city, um, has kind of this system. There's a, a general line. Um, there's a, a couple. I think there's a line for people over 65 and people and people with um, physical disabilities. But then there's also um, there's a really high donation price that if you donate that amount, then I think you get um, you get access to a couple tickets um, or you know. So so there are these different buckets, and people can decide based on their circumstances what they want to do. Um, and I think that actually. In lots of cases, I think that that would be um, a better option um, where you can um, offer two things. And and the advantage, so, so you mentioned a while ago about, um, you know, a person who could pay a thousand bucks at the hospital to, to jump the queue. So I agree that in that situation that that would be uh, unethical. But I think that the, you know, the case for allowing some um, market elements into healthcare is that that a thousand bucks doesn't just get burned. You could hire some doctors with it, and then that would um, decrease the queue overall. Um, so the the I, I think the you know the, the the advantage of having money in the picture um, is that it can help. It can be actually better for everybody, or better for the worst off even, um, because it can it allows this one inequality of like queue jumping, um, but it can then be used to build more stuff. Same thing with you know Starbucks that if they um, you know if there's only one Starbucks and everyone's waiting in line for a really long time, that will signal to Starbucks that there's demand and so they should build more. But if they could you know, if they're raising prices, then that could, you know, develop a, um, you know, t- towards a market solution where the um, demand supply. You know, yeah, I mean, that. so I think in a way you've just described something that I was mentioning earlier, which is the, the if the benefit of some people cutting in line is is distributed across people that are being cut, then I think that's something I'm more inclined to accept. I think again, though, this this generates problems which are like. You know, so suppose I'm at the grocery store and I'm a rich, wealthy man, uh, which is false. But if I were, I go to the I go to the grocery store line. Say there are ten people in line, and I go to each person and I say, "Hey, I would like to cut in front of you. I will offer you one hundred dollars." And of course, you start at the back of the line because you do it progressively. And if each person goes, "Oh, sure, I'd take hundred dollars over an extra ten minutes," um, then and you do that all the way, and you get to cut the line. And it's, I've spent a thousand dollars. Each of them gets hundred dollars. Each of them was happy with that price. Whatever. That seems okay in in some ways. I'm still very concerned about the ability for people to get kind of bought in that way. But of course, if each person could just say no, and then that person, you know, the wealthy man just stands there behind person number seven because 
uh, person number seven said that's not a price I'm you know willing to accept or whatever. Um, I think there's obviously real concerns with that, but that would be a way in which it would be certainly better in that case if the money were distributed to the people who are actually experiencing the cost than cases where the money is given to the person who's supplying the good. Um, because I'm, you know, you, you've pointed out that in cases like hospital cases, they would use that money to hire. That, this seems optimistic to me, maybe overly optimistic, because I think in those cases, what they would do is they would, it would just kind of line the coffers, frankly. Like, I mean, and, and, you know, there's no evidence that I'm aware of that, like, these amusement parks use the money from FastPass to, like, lower ticket prices to the ordinary person. And if they did, I think I would feel differently about that. I would be like, okay, so it actually is, like, distributed across other people. But if it's just for profit for them, I think it incentivizes them to um, restrict the amount of the good that's available or, in fact, to make the line long. So I, I went recently um, to Six Flags here in, or, you know, next door to me in Atlanta um, on like a Wednesday. Um, my wife and I are big coaster heads, as you may know. So we uh, we enjoyed the roller coasters. Um, and on a Wednesday, uh, the lines are almost none at all. Like, I mean, the longest we waited for any roller coaster was 10 minutes. So a negligible amount. In fact, a, a, a nice amount because then you don't have vertigo and you feel dizzy from the previous one. You get a little bit of a break, but not a terribly long break. But there were people who had paid for fast pass. And in those cases, it was just sort of like, okay, there was no, there was no need for that. So it almost seems like it would be to the advantage of Six Flags to like somehow inflate the line for the average person to like create the perception that the fast pass you know, next time we come here, we got to get that because look at how long these lines are or something. And so it might actually incentivize them to like not be sufficiently prepared to handle the line or at Starbucks. Like do they, it might incentivize them to work more slowly on the ordinary line orders if they wanted for whatever reason people to use the app or something like that. So that's a concern I have about those if it's not distributed in that way. If it is, I think that's better. But again, I think we run back into the problem we mentioned earlier about trade-offs across money and time. Um, which I don't have settled views on, and, and you're, you know, I think offering a persuasive response to how to think about those those two in tandem. Um, I, I do, I do still worry about the idea that I can just, you know, imagine I go to a restaurant, everyone's waiting for a table, and I just go up and hand the, you know, uh, host like a fifty or whatever. I don't know what the going rate for it for a cool like handshake with the money in the hand kind of thing. I don't know what what the going rate for that is these days. Fifty bucks, hundred bucks. And then I get the table right away. That just seems like, you know, that just seems wrong to me. Yeah, I think that that is right. So I wanted to ask you about um, uh, about my thesis that the elimination of lines is a sign of societal progress. So I actually, um, it, you might have just seen um, Andreessen Horowitz just released this techno-optimist manifesto. Um, and uh, uh, and it, it says in it, um, uh, among many things, it says, we believe the measure of abundance is falling prices. Every time a price falls, the universe of people who buy it get a raise in buying power, which is the same as a raise in income. And uh, I think that that's true in terms of lines, that if we think about um, the Soviet Union um, or um, other places, that uh, the long lines are not a good sign. They're, you know, they're, they might be a sign of kind of uh, equal distribution, but, but they're not something that we should want to have. And so I think the best kind of solution when we can is just to uh, you know, get rid of the line altogether by kind of making things more efficient. Do you think that that's right? Or do you think that there are some cases where, uh, or, or maybe you're talking about kind of all of this is within you know, when the line can't be eliminated? Yeah, I mean, I think it, holding everything else fixed, it seems to be almost a truism that it would be better to not have a line. Um, I think, you know, yeah, it would be great if hospitals were so well-staffed that no one ever had to wait in a waiting room and, like, was able to be seen immediately and there was no waiting. Um, so it seems obvious to me that if we can, like, achieve that goal at with no, you know, external costs or whatever, or no additional costs you know, that that would be a good thing. Um, it would be a great thing. But I think in the meantime, I think moving towards fewer lines is good. I think the other thing too is in cases, and this is, I think, compatible with your point, um, you know, there are lots of opportunities to not have to have people wait in line. So they might have delayed access to the good, but they're, you know, one thing we haven't really touched on is the fact that waiting in line is consuming. I don't mean like a consumer. I mean like it it eats up opportunity for you. So, um, I mean, this is one thing we haven't really discussed yet, 
so I think that, you know, when you think about, um, there, there are, I've been saying fast pass, but I think actually fast pass is different. There's the one at Disney world or Disneyland, which is like, you know, you get a little ticket that says, come back at three Oh five. And then you, you get to go to the front of the line. And that seems like a case where like, that's way better. Cause then if I'm at Disney world, I don't have to stand there in line, a line that I can't leave. You know, I can do other things. I can go, I can go play other games or look at other things or watch a show or whatever. And then 305 rolls around and then I hop in the line and then I get to ride the roller coaster. So it seems like in that case, there's just no advantage to keeping the actual line. You keep a line in the kind of administrative sense of like, there are people who got there first and get to go, but you're not consumed by being in the line. And I think that's true. That's just what appointments are. I mean, or reservations at a restaurant, you know, I can show up at fancy restaurant and say, can I have a table? And they say, it'll be an hour. Um, if I had had the forethought, which, you know, to some degree, we all have equal access to that, um, to make a reservation, then I, then, you know, then I don't have to wait. And that's just what those are. So I think more opportunities for that. That's what appointments are. Obviously there are many environments in which you can't do that. You can't make an appointment for your medical emergency. Um, and so I, I don't think it solves the problem completely, but you know, there are lots of cases in which we can eliminate the line by creating greater opportunities for people to get access to the good at a predetermined time. Um, uh, and I think that would be a lot better. I think, too, one thing we, you know, we can, ho- hopefully the listener, if they've never thought about lines before, is now coming with tons of examples, many of which probably we're not able to speak to here. But one is thinking about nowadays with, um, you know, tickets for like Taylor Swift or whatever. Often people have to wait on their computer for like hours and hours and hours to just get access to buy tickets. And that just seems like, among other things, like horribly inefficient. Like it just does not need to be that way. It should be that you like get a spot in line and then it's like log back into this page at this particular time. Instead, they have to sit there and like monitor their computer for whenever they'll be able to pop up in the line or something or, you know, have access to the good. Um, but also, again, it's a it's a massive cost. And so I think, you know, if we can get rid of that, uh, it's you know, that would be better. It'd be significantly better. And so I'm with you that getting rid of lines, at least, uh, you know, in, in most cases would be a, would be an overall good. And then getting rid of the actual physical line is uh, massively better. Even if it imposes some slight cost on people, like, let's say if I waited in line, I'd be, I'd have access to the roller coaster at three. But if I do this like ticket and then come back later, I have I get in at three fifteen. Like, I think most people would accept that cost because they actually benefit in terms of more free time. Um, you know, they have access to the good slightly later, but they get all this benefit in the meantime, which would be a lot better. Do you think that first come first served is uh, sometimes a problem itself? So there's this uh, economist um, who proposes uh, first come last served. And so it, it dissuades people from waiting in line, which is a time waste. So, so if you got there and you saw that there was a line, then you would leave and do something else. And so then, you know, I mean, I, I think what would actually happen is people would just kind of like hover around <laughs> for the thing that they really wanted. But but if you you know if if you could like set it up so that um, uh, to to avoid that somehow, um, do you think that first come first served actually causes this problem? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think actually I was thinking about that um, idea when I was talking about the airplane thing, and I've conflated the ideas. But I think um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean. It's possible that like on an, on certain economic models, it would be better for all these reasons. It's not so obvious to me. Um, yeah, I mean, again, we're looking at questions about relative time distribution. Um, I'm trying to think of a good where like, or an example where, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I'll just say I'm not so sure about that. I think it would depend on the specifics of the case. Um, you know, if it's like the new iPhones being released... Um, I don't know. That seems like a, that seems like a, a good case where, like, you know, you line up because you want it more than other people or something like that. Um, and I don't know how it would be better if we'd said the last person in line gets to go first. Like, I just I can't imagine the practical. Um, I can't imagine how that would work in practice for for things like that. Um, do, yeah, I think that that's a case where you line up because you want it more, but or you could just pay the higher price because you want it more. And the assumption that the lineup is better just assumes that, or it's going to be, um, uh, it's going to be biased towards people who just have the time. So Wimbledon tickets are like this. It's kind of the famous uh, the queue it was called before the Queen's line um, uh, took over that title. But you know, people who have three days to wait in line are uh, very time rich and maybe not very. 
uh, money rich. Um, and so, but I think that that is just another type of inequality. And it doesn't seem to me that it's better because I think that there are many people who can't uh, afford, they don't have the time um, to, to line up like that. So, so it's not clear to me that um, time in those cases is a better function or a better way of distributing the thing for a good like Wimbledon, Wimbledon tickets or iPhones. Right. Not so I, I, I'm with you on the Wimbledon one. This actually reminds me when I was a kid, there was like a summer daycare program that my parents wanted to get me in. And it was very restricted. It wasn't restricted in terms of like, but there were just X number of seats. Um, and they had like, you had to like sign up in person. This was in the early 90s. So it was pre-internet lines and stuff like that. Um, but uh you had to get up at like 5 a.m. and go wait in this line with other parents. Like some pe- some people had to take a day off work to do that. Um, but that's, so like that's that's really unfortunate. <laughs> what they really should do is have more seats in the in the summer daycare. Um, so in a way, we're kind of holding fixed the fact that the resource provider is like not attending to the greater need and is causing all these problems for the consumer. In this case, just the, the parent or the, the person. Um, but it's not obvious. Like, so in that case, what should we do? So should we make it so that like, I mean, what we really should do is like maybe have some kind of lottery or something. Um, and like, given that there's a tremendous need and limited, limited access, we should just have a lottery. Um, and like some people get it and others won't. And that seems like radically fair. If you're just randomly picking numbers, it doesn't have anything to do with time. It doesn't have anything to do with, um, money, but, but, you know, so that's, that's probably what we should do. Second to that, we should I mean, make the people who want it go sign up for it. Again, pre-internet, so people had to actually go do it. But I think that in those cases, it it seems to me that it would obviously be worse. The worst of the options is to say, there's a line, or if you want, you can pay $500 and we'll sign you up right away. Don't you believe in supply and demand, though? <laughs> if you say, okay, so here's this fancy thing that people are, you know, people are paying $1,000 for then other people who could run that camp or run a camp like that are going to go, oh my goodness, that's an incredible incentive. Whereas there's no incentive if it's just a long line um, or there's no incentive if it's just a lottery. Um, so if you see Starbucks, you know, the lines out the door, that's going to incentivize you to make a cafe that's similar to Starbucks and that, that will be better for everybody because there's less lines. I just, you know, the, the, when demand is high, that you know, supply can rise to meet it. Yeah, I guess I'm just less sanguine about the like, economic this this feels like often these stories of economic stuff feel very like richard scary busy town to me like oh i'll just open my own little shop next to it's like that's just strikes me as like not how these things tend to work i think what tends to happen is people benefit massively from restricted access to something because you know and and it like generates a profit for them maybe other people see that and want to benefit or in many cases i think it just is a is purely a benefit to the the business owner in question. The example I gave you here, which is idiosyncratic to the specific example here, is it was a public school daycare program. So I think it would be like wrong for other reasons for them to take money for it. It wasn't like a private summer camp. It was run by the school district. Um, but so it, it seems to me like, like in that case, like I, I do believe in supply and demand. I believe that in this case, what we should do is fund a greater supply so that the demand isn't so restricted. And I agree with you in, in points that you've said earlier, which is that like that's going to pose a huge cost on people who can't get there at 5 o'clock on a Tuesday morning for whatever reason um, and wait in line for potentially hours. Um, and it certainly is a cost to the people who, um, uh, you know, a cost in the other sense of the, the people won't have access to this good that they should have access to, which is care for their children. Now, you know, that generates, it's not an iPhone. That's like something that's a social good we should care about. But it's, it strikes me like if you just lay out the different possibilities, I think it seems intuitively and I think even upon deeper reflection obvious to me that like the worst option is the one in which like we're just we're just going to go to the highest bidder. And once we've run out of those, we're going to go to the line for something like a particular good like that. I don't think that that's the way to do it. If um, and, and, and like it might be practically the most suitable for a lot of things, but I think it's like morally the most suspect. Oh, I think the worst option is just the line keeps getting longer and longer. Like it, it like sticks to that. So we so so I agree that, you know, if, if I think a lottery or some other system would be better than first come, first served um, for the reasons that you mentioned. Um, so I think in this case, first come, first served, if that just keeps if that continues, that 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 would be the worst option. I think that payment would be better. I also think a lottery would be better. 
um, or other systems. So I think it's, you know, the, the, the question is this kind of economic question of when is it a situation where supply and demand actually produce a positive result versus when it is a, is a situation where it creates, um, you know, uh, bad market results or, um, you know, that where the kind of, um, you know, various distortions in the market don't apply. I think Six Flags is probably like that because it's really expensive to make a Six Flags. And, and so they do kind of have the, uh, you know, a quasi monopoly over, over those kinds of things. But I think that other sorts of, and, and in, you know, healthcare in Canada, for instance, that, you know, there's a, an, an actual monopoly, um, in terms of the kind of payer system, um, for it. So I think the, um, it, it does just depend on kind of these other factors. But that's, I mean, that's interesting because I, because I, I do think that first come first served is the best in a lot of options but actually then in these other cases it can become the worst um or i mean that could be li- there could be worse ones you could choose it based on you know some like totally kind of by you know height or skin color or something that those would be much worse but yeah yeah i mean i guess i guess kind of one takeaway from the conversation here so far is that i worry that treating um money and time as though they're two goods kind of on equal footing um, is just not doing full justice to the fact that there's radical wealth inequality and that's going to systematically advantage people who have benefited from, in many ways, an already kind of unjust, I think, system. Not always, but in many cases, I think it would it would do that. Whereas the time inequality seems, I mean, to some degree, as you've pointed out, it's also going to be that because people will have less time because of other economic factors like having long commutes or whatever, like that sort of thing. But in other ways, I think that like we just, you know, I don't think it helps to exacerbate the problem. Um uh, but I do think that this points to the fact that like one way to solve all this is to do the most fair thing of all, which is to just sort of pick randomly. And I think in some cases, um, I mean, people do this, uh, and I think that it's uh, actually quite smart. So here at UGA, um, many listeners may know this is a big football school. We won the national championship two years in a row. Um, faculty here uh, who want season tickets for football can sort of apply. It's, I mean, a quick application. Um, and you're put into a lottery. And um, what happens is instead of, it's not first come, first served because there's an open kind of application period. You just put your hat or your name in the hat and then um, they pick randomly for the available seats. And people who have seats and tickets from previous years, they get to keep it. There's, you know, principle of continuity that, that gets in there. But in terms of the avail- remaining available seats, they don't it's not a market system. And it very well could be. It easily could be. You could just say, like, all right, which faculty want to pay the most? Or here's the ticket price. And they kind of find the equilibrium for how much people are willing to pay. But instead, they do a lottery, which I think is really good. Incidentally, and just to show you, I didn't benefit from the lottery. I did not. I applied for season tickets and did not get them. Uh, I, uh, I lost the lottery, as it were. Um, but I think that's really fair because that creates a system where like we get to keep a fair price and then give everyone equal access to it. I think there are a lot of situations in which a lottery would be a dramatic improvement over the status quo. Of course, there are other cases. You don't have a lottery at Starbucks. That doesn't make sense. And you don't, certainly don't have a lottery at the, at the hospital. Um, but in other cases, you know, it, it seems to make sense to do that. I know that, isn't that how it works for a lot of like running competitions? Like, isn't the Boston Marathon like this or New York Marathon or something where... The, the New York City Marathon yeah. is, yeah, is a lottery. Um, yeah, so, so I do think that there are systems like that. I mean, the New York City Marathon is so big that I think that they could... Well, I don't know. I guess maybe it just gets so big that it would be impossible to run it. There's this tennis court um, in Toronto um, that... That it's it's there's a waiting list um, first come first serve and it's a very popular you know there aren't that many public tennis courts in Toronto so it's you know it's subsidized by the city I, I forget what the kind of club fee is but it's much lower than a private one um, but the waiting list is like five thousand people like people have been on it for for years and years and years and that so so I do think that you know, there's a case for a lottery um, or some other kind of way in that but you know my first or my my second thought after that is um, well like. Can the city build more? <laughs> can the city build more uh, tennis courts? And you know, in some cases, like Taylor Swift tickets, there are only so many times she's going to want to play the show, and so you know, there's going to be uh, there's going to be some people who are left out in in one way or another. And then the, you know, then maybe a lottery, or if you want to cap the um, money price, then maybe a lottery would be the the best way to go. Um, I guess there are a couple things that we didn't really talk about that I'll just flag. Um... One is for people um, who take up space in the line and then try to sell that space. So we've talked about this, you and I, before, about people who will um, uh, who will kind of give up their spot in line for a price. And then the reverse of that is paying people to wait in line for you. 
um, which I think Michael, Michael Sandel talks about. Um, in some cases, you can pay people to wait in line for the new iPhone or whatever. Um, and there are kind of questions surrounding that that we didn't get to, so I'll just flag that. The other thing is, um, uh, I just, as a plug for the listener, not a personal plug, but something I... Uh, I was going to mention at one point, but didn't, but it's very, I think it's a really good illustration of this. Um, one of my favorite shows, Nathan for you, a Canadian guy, actually, uh, it's kind of a, it's a kind of a funny pranky show in which he tries to give businesses helpful advice, but he knows the advice is terrible and the businesses do it. And it's always a miserable thing. He has this one episode in which he goes to a hot dog stand and they say like, oh, the lines are so long here. It's terrible. And he says, oh, you should implement a policy and put up a sign that says, um, you know, you have to wait in line. Uh, you can cut the line only if you are really in a hurry. And the, 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 it's hilarious because like, obviously that's just like a terrible, unworkable principle. And the, the episode sort of un, unravels in this way where, um, there's a guy who likes like, Oh, I have a doctor's appointment. I got to go in front of people. And there's just like no way of verifying this. And so there is this kind of, it, it kind of illustrates very perfectly this idea of like, if we tried to incorporate other things other than money or just showing up, we quickly get into like, how are we going to verify? How can people take advantage of this system? People will take advantage of this system. And that generates all sorts of problems. So many of the things I suggested already, it's like the way to solve it would be like kind of ideal theory here would be great. But in practice, I think totally impossible. So in the real world that we live in, it's it, some of the suggestions that you made about money might just be the better option because they're practical, uh, more practically oriented. Jeremy Davis, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Value Judgments is produced by me, Eric Matheson. If you like the show, please tell your friends and subscribe on Apple Music or Spotify. If you really like the show, you can become a paid subscriber at valuejudgments.substack.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.